Hi, this is Angel Wilson, and welcome to Spark Up. Thank you for joining me and my lovely little corner of the internet on this podcast. We're going to be talking a lot about autism, but not just autism itself. We're going to do a lot of dialogue talking to actual autistic people, getting their perspectives on autism and how it's looked at in society. We're also going to be talking to providers who provide services for autism and how they kind of see and approach autism. And we're also going to be talking to family members and get their viewpoint on what it's like to have a family member with autism. And we're going to have dialogues with all different kinds of people, including those some of those dialogues could get a little deep. We might talk about some some touchy subjects like racism and access to resources, but these are all topics that we know need to be talked about. Hi, this is Angel Wilson and welcome to Spark Up. Hello and welcome to my little corner of the podcast world. This is episode four of Spark Up. I am so happy you guys can join us today as we continue this journey of learning more about autism. Today I have a very special guest with me. This is a mom that I have worked with with her kids for a couple of years now. And she has a wealth of knowledge and experience that she's learned kind of navigating through everything from getting a diagnosis to uh, navigating pr- getting providers and services to working and dealing with the school district. She's she's gone through a lot in the short amount of time between diagnosis and 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 now, and she has a lot to share. So we're going to be talking to her and talking a bit about her experiences. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, our parent, Misi, who's going to talk about her experiences and her background and how it prepared her for dealing with the diagnosis and working with her kids who are on the autism spectrum. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm Misi. Um, I'm a wife and mother of four. Uh, two of my children have autism. They're twins. And what helped me get through the start of our journey was because I've been an LPN for almost 10 years and I also worked with adults with um, a variety of disabilities, autism included. And I wouldn't say that it was an easy start to my journey because I still had a process where I was grieving as a parent would that never worked in healthcare, but I was able to get through it because I understood a little more of what was going on. So um, I try to share with everyone in in the community, especially people in the colored communities, because I know that in those communities, we lack some of the resources that other communities don't lack. And we don't know about the resources that's out there because there's no one to direct us in those directions to get what is needed for our children. So I love the fact that you said that the um, background that you had kind of, it sort of prepared you, but you're never quite 100%, you know, prepared for, you know, a, a, a diagnosis. And 
I know you and I have talked about this a lot, but it's something I think bears repeating that it's really important to have a really great uh, support system around you. And that includes like yes. the doctors and so forth. And I know you've told me that you had a pretty good, uh, actually had a pretty good experience. You did right with your like pediatrician. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, our pediatrician is great. She sees all four of our children. And when it comes to the twins, when I say she is on everything, she is on top of it. When um they went in for their, I think it was their one-year-old checkup, is when she noticed, you know, things weren't where she thought they should be. Mm -hmm. So she was like, well, mom, we're going to give them a little, you know, a couple of more months. When they come back, we'll check it again. So after she saw that it wasn't, you know, changing, it was still staying the same for them. So she was like, you know, why don't we try to do early intervention and see what happens? Maybe they need speech therapy or maybe they need to um get some OT and we'll go from there. So we did that. What about a year and a half? And after that, it was like, okay, now I think it's time for a diagnosis. That's how I felt about it. So I talked to my husband about it. And at first he really, you know, didn't feel comfortable. He like, well, I don't think it's nothing wrong. I just think they're moving at their own pace. So I'm like, well, you know, it wouldn't hurt to get a diagnosis and see what's going on. So that's when I uh, reached out to her and asked her opinion on it. And she was like, it's fine. You know, I'll send you the referral and you can call this office and schedule an appointment so they can get evaluated. And she was just on top of everything for private therapy. When I wanted them to do private therapy, instead of going straight into the school system, she made sure the referrals were handled. And actually she was on vacation when I reached out about mm -hmm. private therapy and another physician sent me the referrals and made sure everything was handled. So, you know, everybody on the team at their pre uh, pediatrician is great. Awesome. And then even, you know, with the therapist, all of their therapists are all on board with things. If they if they're not, they explain why. And then when I explain how I feel about it, then they kind of understand a little bit more. But I've had no issues as far as therapists or with the physicians that they've had. And like I said, that's a really important point is to ha make sure that the the medical side and the mental health side and the therapy side are all on board. And like you said, all on the same page, because the biggest thing that can kind of slow that down is if you have uh, a team that's not communicating with each other that are not all on the same page and are and don't really connect with the child. I think that's a big one too is that they have to be able to connect. Right. That's the the biggest thing mm -hmm. I think. If I feel that if a parent has their child in therapy, be it speech, physical therapy or even in ABA, if your child is not seeming to you know, have any changes going on or they're not comfortable when you're taking them to therapy, maybe that's not the right therapist for them. Right. And that, and that, and that, that's okay. It's okay. If, the, if it's not like the right, the, the right person, it's, it doesn't mean that that person's necessarily bad at what they do. They just didn't click with the child. That happens. You right. Know, even when I was working as a developmental specialist, I had some kids that we didn't click and the parents were like, Oh, I think we should go up another specialist. And I understood that completely. 
you're not going to click with every single child or every single family. And I think it's important to have providers who also understand that. Um, another thing that we talked about a lot was the idea of having not just the professional kind of community around you, but also having like a support system in the sense of other parents. And I know that you've been in a bunch, you're in a, a bunch of different groups, especially on Facebook yes. and, and so forth. Yes. <laughs> I have a bunch of groups of moms that's on uh, Facebook and I'm in a bunch of groups on Instagram. I have different moms I follow on Instagram and it's like you, it's like you open up your world of resources when you go to social media. And that's what happened for me. It was like I start, you know, searching out different groups to see if I can get more resources. Like I was able to um, find a nonprofit to assist in getting the twins. They both have a brand new iPad that they use for their AEC device. And the nonprofit also provided the program. I didn't have to pay for any of that. And I didn't have to go through insurance with going through insurance. It would have took us maybe two months before they were able to get even get the AACs. Then we would have had to get approval from the insurance. And it was just like, okay, we'll go this route. And actually the nonprofit came back to me because I told her, you know, we didn't go through all the avenues before coming to you. Because basically you have to try the insurance, try the school district, see if you can find other avenues to actually get the devices. And we hadn't gone through that. But she came back to me and said, well, did anything happen? Did you get it processed? And I'm like, no, they're telling us it's going to be a little wait. So she said, well, go ahead and apply and we'll still get you guys started. So social media is a big help. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're looking for resources for any type of disability. Like I'm in homeschooling groups and uh, special needs school, you know, for schooling. It's so much, especially on Facebook. I know that that's also um, helped a lot, I think, with um, when you, because I know you recently made the decision to switch them into homeschooling. And um, I, I'm guessing that you're probably getting ideas and stuff from those different groups as well. Yes. Yep, most definitely. It's some groups, they, it's not many moms, especially in one of the groups that I'm in that's, um, it's all moms of color. Mm -hmm. And it's not many moms in that group that chose to homeschool their children, but there are some. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found out about unschooling, mm -hmm. as well as finding out from a, a teacher, she was a teacher. But, but she was also a hairdresser. She used to do my um daughter in my hair. And she was like, oh, have you ever heard of this? Don't, you know, just do homeschooling first. Try this out. So I've been looking into unschooling and, you know, like comparing unschooling and regular homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've been researching a lot of stuff. Nice, nice. Um, And I'm glad that you kind of found that and that hopefully this encourages other parents to kind of, you know, reach out to, because there's a lot of communities out there, like Facebook alone, like you said, has a ton of them. And just like finding communities and, and community in general to bond with. There's also um, autistic people themselves who are on uh, social media that can be followed, other parents yes. 
You know, even if you're, yep. even if you're not, I follow some too. Yeah. Even if you're not communicating directly with them, you can still learn a lot just from following them. Like they give out tips and tell about different experiences. And I've learned a lot, even like following um, different parents and different autistic individuals. So I always encourage people go out there and see who's out there and who's talking about their experiences. Cause a lot of folks have already been yes. down the path that, you know, you may be on right now and they might have some information that can come back and really be helpful. Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's a lot of parents who started their journey before us and they, their children are the same age, but they started ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to find people and talk to them. And the funny thing is they don't mind you inboxing them and asking questions. They want you to ask questions mm -hmm. and they want to talk to you to try to help you through the journey. So you don't go through, you know, some of the situations they had to go through. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Um, one of the things that, um, we, uh, that you had kind of thought up and you mentioned it to me when we last talked before this, uh, the meeting was, the four P's. And I thought this was like awesome. Cause, cause like my business has like the four A's and then you mentioned the four P's. I'm like, wait, what's this? I want to know about this. I, yes. I hear about acronyms and things like that. And I love it. So tell, tell like me and, and the rest of the audience, what your four P's are. Well, it just came to me, you know, over the weekend and I'm like, what is something that I do a lot of as an autism mom? And I said, I do a lot of praying. I have to have a lot of patience, a lot of persistence, and a lot of parenting. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say a lot of parenting is because some parents, you know, you take your children to therapies and then you feel like, okay, they're supposed to be on target because they go into therapy, you know, maybe every day of the week or some people only go take their kids once or twice a week, but they're not on target. And the reason why they're not on target is because you have to continue these things at home. So that's why I say a lot of parenting. Mm -hmm. And then as far as persistence, you know, in uh, communities of color, we have to sometimes be persistent about things. Yep. Because it's like we can't get through the door unless we're being persistent. Mm -hmm. So we have to... When they're telling us, oh, well, your child can't do this. Um, yes, my child can. I looked this up and I found this and, they, and I know that they can do this. Just like with my um, twins, I've got both of them a scholarship and we're actually waiting for, you know, the whole funding to find out how much their funding is going to be. So that will, you know, most likely cover their homeschooling for this year. Nice. And just back in May when we did the IEP. The same scholarship was told to me that, oh, well, they can't get this into their kindergarten in kindergarten. I remember that conversation. So it's like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's like, okay, are you trying to hide it from me or do you just not have your facts all together? Right. So, yeah. So that's why I say being persistent because if we don't be persistent, then it's like our children get swept under the rug a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Then when I say um, praying, sometimes you just have to pray your way through situations. And I do it daily mm -hmm. <laughs> because one of my twins right now is going through a phase and he takes his diaper off. So you might, the first thing you happen is you smell something. 
So you run to the room and it's a whole situation going on. So yeah, it's a lot of praying and patience as well, especially with situations (laughs) like like that. that. (laughs) Yep, yep, and yep. And though and those and those are very real and kind of like raw situations that sometimes I think um and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think a lot of times there's certain aspects of autism that are really kind of showcased and shown. But, you know, the reality is there's a, it's a spectrum. It's an entire wheel of different behaviors and experiences. And, you know, it's neither, ex- neither extreme in is the full picture. You know, it's, exactly. it's not all a bunch of savants who have IQs of 200 and are doctors and, and so forth, but it's not right. all also people who are, you know, um, completely incapacitated and can't work. It's, it's ev- all of that. It's like everything. And, um, I think, yeah. And I think like remembering those for the praying patience, persistence, and parenting, I think that goes to wherever any of the kids, teens, or adults are on the autism spectrum. I think those have to be, you know, remembered and, and, and come back, come back to them, you know, as often as possible. Like right now, like we have talked about, you know, they have different levels, which I don't always Mm -hmm. agree with when it comes to diagnosing autism. So my one twin is supposed to be severe and the other twin is supposed to be mild to moderate, but the mild to moderate twin is the one we're having the phase of taking his diaper off versus the severe who is not, he keeping his diaper on. So you can't just say, okay, it's this one is on this level and this one is not, but because it's not, it's a will. Right. It, exactly. And we were actually talking about that earlier, too. The fact that, like you just said, I was actually thinking of that when we thought up the subject of levels and and the fact that, um, like you said, like just because one child's been labeled severe, you know, there's there's preconceived notions that we have about when they, we say severe, just like there's preconceived notions that we have when we say high functioning and low functioning. Uh, automatically we start thinking of certain things. And the right. truth is that doesn't cover everybody on the spectrum. It doesn't begin to cover everyone on the spectrum. So like I said, I like the idea of the wheel of saying, oh, this person's, you know, uh, more concentrated into this category, but not so much in this category. This person's really good at showing uh, physical affection, but is not talking. Like that's something I think of with this, with the quote unquote, severely autistic twin. I, I think he shows when he wants to, he can actually be pretty affectionate but he doesn't, but he doesn't yes. talk, you know, <laughs> but that doesn't. Yeah. But right. But right. severe. A lot of people think, oh, that means they're just like sitting in a corner somewhere and just not communicating with anyone and not doing anything. And I'm like, no, that's that's not right either. So, no, yeah. it's absolutely like we always say. If you met one person with autism, you met one person with autism. Exactly. Because my severe twin is not the type that's sitting in the corner. He's always trying to do something. He's interested in things. Mm -hmm. He might have his moments where he wants to be alone and be by himself. He doesn't want to play with other children, but he's not sitting in the corner at all. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. That's one thing I will, I will notice about him. He will, he's, he's quieter about it, but he is definitely very much aware of what's going on. Like he, he's in the business, put it that way. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. (laughs)
So one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about was kind of like parenting tips and there, but there's one situation in particular that I really wanted us to kind of sit and, and pick apart and dissect because it pretty much summarizes most, if not all of the tips that we were going to go over anyway. So I think it it bears kind of talking about and, and, and breaking down. And that was basically your, uh, the last experience that you had in an um, IEP meeting, which is basically an individualized education plan meeting. Uh, this is a uh, typical, th- this is typical in, um, in, in uh, school districts or public school where um, how it usually goes is that they, you know, you sit down, you have, you know, you have the meeting, you go over the, the plan that includes the goals. It usually takes about, I don't know, like at the minimum 30 minutes, maximum like 45 to an hour, but you go over each part of it. You set up a game plan, see if there's any services that are needed and oftentimes may even set up the next uh, meeting. That's how it goes, like ideally. But I want to kind of talk to you about how uh, your last meeting went and how that kind of uh, tied into <laughs> your decision to to switch to homeschooling. So um, why don't you start kind of telling us about that situation? This was the annual um, IEP meeting. This was not the initial meeting. Mm-hmm. Um it was at the school that, you know, the twins were attending. They didn't actually start until January and we didn't start them in August after the initial evaluation because we just didn't feel they were, you know, comfortable yet or ready for school. Right. But after we got the diagnosis of autism, the um neurologist, you know, pushed, you know, I think you should, you know, put them in the program, get them in school or whatever. Mm-hmm. So me and my husband talked about it and we went ahead and did it. So this meeting was set online. It was like a, I think it was like a Google Meets meeting, how they had it. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to have been a, if I'm not mistaken, an hour for each twin. Mm-hmm. It ended up being 30 minutes in total for both twins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Basically, they went over what they thought should be the goals like they already had the goals set even though they sent a paper home you know asking us to sign you know agreeing to having a meeting and everything and it said if we had suggestions but they didn't come back or email us or call us and say oh well you know you didn't put anything down do you have any suggestions none of that Mm. was asked um so basically in the meeting I just let them talk and if they asked me a question, I answered. But other than that, I didn't have too much to say because I felt that prior to this meeting, it was situations that led up to me not wanting to say anything at all. So I just let them talk and I answered whatever questions they wanted me to answer. And what was kind of odd to me was when the twins actually came into the living room while I had the computer set up. They did not like even smile at the twins. They didn't say hello or anything. And my one twin who is severely, um, who is labeled as severe autism, he was like all in the camera looking like, okay, I know these people. I see these people often. 
and they didn't crack a smile or say a word nope. to him. Yeah, it was like he wasn't there. I can say that because I, I was there, so I saw like all of this in real time. And yeah, he was right there in front of the camera and no acknowledgement whatsoever. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Not a smile. Just stone face the whole time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what kind of meeting is this? So like I also said about the scholarship, you know, she brought up the information about the scholarship and then she goes, oh, well, they can't get this until they go to kindergarten. So I kind of had this look on my face and I wanted to like blurt it out and say, no, they can get it at age three. But I didn't say anything because I feel like every time when I would, you know, put my give them my input, they didn't want my input as if, oh, she don't know what she talking about and she don't know this. And, you know, so I just basically would drop my children off and pick them up until the end of the school year. And I just decided after the IEP that, yeah, we're not going to be doing public school this next school year. Providers especially. Remember, uh, parents can pick up on that. The kids can also pick up on that. <laughs> like, yep, they can all tell if you are not, you know, I, again, I sat in on that meeting. I could, t- I, I kept kind of glancing at you, Misty, because I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're not here. <laughs> like, they're here, but. Right. They're not here. Right. You know, and it just really blew my mind when uh, the teacher asked me, why did I prefer for them to be in the same class? Mm. And I just, I'm not going to say it made me angry, but it kind of was like, okay, one, they're twins mm-hmm. and they don't have behavior issues. So what's the problem with them being in the same class? And second, it's it that's my preference. Right. I want them to be in the same class. And it's my right to have that preference. And there's nowhere in the school district policy that say that I have to have them in a separate class unless they're having, you know, they're causing chaos and it's destructive to right. the classroom. No. So she and then when I said that it was, oh well, they they're they're a bit much. Yeah, no, yeah, I they're remember not. That. She said literally they're a handful. And I was like, are we talking about the same kids? (laughs) They're not a handful. No, they're not. Especially if you know them. If you know them and are familiar with them, they're not, they're not, they're toddlers. (laughs) Right. Exactly. They're toddlers. That's, that's it, you know? So, yeah. And I'm like, once I already felt and I voiced it to the principal that I felt like my twins were not wanted at the school. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, no, that's not the case. Well, you solidified it in that IEP meeting that it, that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, that brings up some of the, the tips we were going to talk about, like the fact of parents, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to do what you think is don't. best for your child. Because you're the biggest. Please adv- don't. Yeah, you're the biggest advocates for your child at the end of the day. No one's going to advocate. The like only you guys. thing, the only thing I would say is, especially in the communities of color, be professional mm-hmm. when you are addressing issues because they're already looking for us to be, you know, as they per se would say, a ratchet person mm-hmm. in the first place. So you have to go in, you know, be professional, even if they not being professional with you still be professional with them because at the end of the day 
it's all about your your child. Yep. They still gonna have their job if you blow up, and then you gonna end up probably in jail if you do the wrong thing because they're gonna call the police on you mm-hmm. in the first place. So just be professional. And when you get upset about it, then go home and do whatever you need to do to release your anger and just finish off your day. Mm-hmm. And then put per my last email. <laughs> no, that's that's the... right, right. <laughs> yep. One thing, one thing about me as a mom, I've been huge on emails and letters. Mm-hmm. For me, it works better, and it actually keeps me in that professional boundary. Yes. And then to be honest, they don't know how to respond to you when you basically are talking to them professionally. You handling the situation professionally. They don't know how to deal with it. Right. So like for me in a situation that I had when I explained to them, well, you know, I'm not foreign to this basically playground. Mm-hmm. I've been a, a nurse this amount of years. I've been in healthcare for over 15 years and I've worked with adults with disabilities mm-hmm. as well as, you know, adults with dementia. So, you know, I know how things can be sometimes it's tough. You might have a day that it's just not working out that day and it's a hard day, but you still need to be professional when you're handling situations. Yes, exactly. And I, and I think that's a lesson that goes, like you said, on both sides, uh, parents need to be professional providers also have to remember to be right. professional in the exchanges. Cause at the end of the day, everything comes back to the kiddos. It's about the kids and the teens that we're all, we all say we want to help grow and, and 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 enrich and and make things a little easier for them as they get older. That should be forced, you know, front and center in every interaction that's made, you know. And when we get wrapped up in in like petty disagreements or oh that person rubbed me the wrong way and oh I don't I don't like how how that 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 parent looked at me that one time so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be rude for the rest of the week or something like that. That doesn't help the child. You know, that's, that's doing nothing to help the child. Right. Because it's not directly affecting either one of us. Right. This whole, the whole thing is about making sure these children are provided their services. And, you know, like I explained, I don't send my child, my children to school for daycare. Mm -hmm. I I send them to get educated. Right. Right. I can keep them home with me if that's the case, you know? So, Yeah. And um, another thing that we talked about was, and this ties into that whole situation, is looking for compatibility of services. So recognizing if, hey, this particular environment's not good for my kids, or I don't think that they're, you know, I'm going to get the best out of it, or they're going to get the most out of it. So let's try a different environment. It's okay to feel that, and it's okay to act on that. In in fact, we encourage, act on that. (laughs) Yep. Yes. If you, if you feel like your children are not progressing or like I said in the beginning, if they going in to therapy and they just so unhappy every time you sending them into therapy, mm-hmm. then maybe that's not the therapist. That's not the place for them. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, like with my twins, when they got diagnosed, the first thing the neurologist was saying is, oh, you need to put them in the ABA for 30 to 40 hours a week. Uh, no, sir, we're not because they don't have behavior issues. Mm-hmm. So why would I put my um my twins in to ABA and they don't need it? But if your child needs it, then you know you put them into ABA. If not, then wait until 
and see. Maybe they won't blossom and have behavior issues. Maybe they will. Mm-hmm. It's just timing, yeah. I would say, with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I'll add for those who don't know, um, ABA is Applied Behavioral Analysis. It's kind of the... Uh, Right now, it's kind of seen as the forefront therapy as far as autism goes. Uh, There are a lot of autistic people who are strongly against it for a number of reasons. There are, uh, we're learning now, I'm learning now there's different factions of it. And so the more, uh, I guess I'll say severe factions are the ones that have caused a lot of trouble. They have in recent years started trying to ease up a bit, but, um, point point made though is the fact that i don't feel that it's for every every single child i don't think it should be a blanketed approach of like every child should automatically get aba there are a lot of different approaches out there um there are different kind of ways to handle things some kids won't need some kids do need aba some kids may not need it some kids may just need uh you know the the ot you know ot occupational therapist speech therapist you know developmental specialists you know, trifecta, so to speak, especially when they're younger. Right. Um, right. But again, that still comes down to what you think is best for your child. Again, don't let anyone try to force feed you into any particular direction. Um, at the end of the day, you know, parent parents are the ones that know their kids the most. The kids themselves know themselves the most and parents know them the second most. So it's like when the child and the parent are telling you, you know, basically in their own ways that, hey, this isn't working for me listen to them maybe (laughs) (laughs) like you said if the child is not progressing in therapy and you know there doesn't seem to be anything blatantly wrong with the therapist it could simply be like we said it's not a good match (laughs) and in that case you know with both of my twins they're nonverbal, so they can't tell me oh well i don't like this person or this person did this so you have to look at the signs and see that okay well maybe it's just not working out yeah the um so yeah i think that that the diap story hit like most if not all of the (laughs) of the tips we want to cover (laughs) i think one of the biggest ones though was a um a quote that you actually said and you said autism is not the end of the world and i want absolutely it's not i want you to elaborate on that because i think that's really important especially for new newly diagnosed parents to kind of you know, wrap their heads around. Right. And you know who actually, I didn't feel like it, you know, it was the end of the world, but I was having a conversation with my dad and I felt, you know, that it was a little rough at first. Like, oh, well, I wasn't expecting this, but it's okay. And my dad was like, yeah, it's okay because there's nothing wrong. They've been, this is who they are. This is who they have been. Cause they got diagnosed right after they turned three, like maybe a few months after. And he was like, they've been like this for three years. This is who they are. It doesn't change their personality. It doesn't change who they are. Mm -hmm. They just have a a diagnosis now of autism. Mm -hmm. That's it. And now with that, you have a, you have a a huge roadmap of different ways you can go. You have access to all, you know, different kinds of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, support systems and, and things, which you have been, yeah, I I commend you because you have been doing an excellent job at finding everything you can to to help the twins. Like, no, really, it's like you you, yes. you could do a master class on it. Like, really, <laughs> like, like just finding things. You found stuff I'd never even heard of. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. You know, 
kind of thing. Right. And um, I think parents need to know that. Yes, it's going to, you might have to turn into like a detective and, and uncover things. Yes, it may mean you have to kind of go to bat a little bit more, but it's, um, you know, like you said, it's like, this is who they are. You, you, you don't see it as like, you know, this, this is just who they are. This is, this is their identity and we're going to move forward with that in mind. And I think that's beautiful. Exactly. Because like, um, the twins, they do swimming lessons Mm -hmm. and one twin is not too happy about if his head goes under under the water. (laughs) He doesn't like that too much, but he still likes to get in the water Mm -hmm. and swim. And then the other twin is like, okay, I'm jumping off the side of the pool. Just go ahead and wait for me to get in there. And most people is like, okay, I'm not going to pay for this for my child because I don't think they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have autism. It's not going to help them. And swimming is the best thing that you can do for your child that has autism. Mm-hmm. It helps them a lot, especially with the fine motor skills. So yeah. if you have the opportunity and it's, here, actually, in um in our area, they have a free program. Mm-hmm. You just have to be an investigator and look it up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And plus, the uh, uh, the sad truth is, there's a lot of autistic kids and teens who drown from wandering off and going into the water. So it's like teaching them how to swim is a is a huge benefit. For is them. the main right? Yeah. And that was one of my biggest reasons why, because I already knew, but then when I noticed. My one twin who just, any water, he loved water. Mm-hmm. He he didn't care. He just, I'm going to jump right in this water and it. I'm just going to enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I don't need him to be, us to be nowhere. And he like drowned. Right. Even when we went to go do family pictures and the guy was like, oh, well, this, I said, look, don't have us buy no water because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to chase him if something happened. Right. So, yeah. You have to be real, especially with water, cautious. Yep. 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 And yep. And um I wanted to I was thinking about like other um other like experiences that you've had. I know that um one of the twins, for example, is a super picky eater. <laughs> yes. One is the and same, one yeah. The the water baby <laughs> is a picky eater. Mm-hmm. He is when I say when I say true to the autism diet, he is true to the autism <laughs> diet. And it was so funny because maybe I'll say about a month ago, I made spaghetti and for the longest he wouldn't eat spaghetti. Mm. He wouldn't pick it up. He used to let me feed it to him because he's still not using utensils. But then all of a sudden I gave him the bowl and he ate it. Wow. But in Father's Day, I made I made pot roast for my husband and I gave him some in the bowl and his twin and he picked it up out of the bowl and put it in his mouth. And he just made this ugly face like, okay, this is not what I want. And he put it back in the bowl. So I tried to give him a little piece and then he took it out of my hand and put it back in the bowl. <laughs> so he goes over to his twin bowl like, okay, maybe he got nuggets in here. It's not the same thing. When he figured out that it was the same, he was just so upset. Like, look, this is not what I want. Yeah, Where's my nuggets? I don't want this roast and whatever you're trying to give me, lady. <laughs> but yeah, he is so picky. So I have to always make sure I have the things in the house that he like. But then the other twin, he'll eat anything. Yeah. He don't care. Long as it is something that tastes good to him, he's gonna eat it. So you never know. Like a lot of people think, oh, because the child has autism, oh, they're gonna be picky. No, that's not always the case. Right. I, I've noticed that about them, that um 
that that's kind of that that like you said before, if you've met one child of autism or one person of autism, you've met one person of autism. There's no like there's certain things that are characteristics of autism, but the way that those characteristics are expressed, I think, are so varied with different people. And the the right. eating habits are a really excellent example of that. How one will just like li- he will literally eat almost anything, <laughs> like like anything, and then the other yes, he will yeah, and the other is like nope, I nope, I this is not like brown in the texture that I like, and like you said, it's not a chicken nugget. So no, <laughs> yes, not he him and his textures. He do not he has, and that's the thing that I explained even to providers. Or even like when they started school, they are, they're twins. And as you know, they don't look nothing. They look like they could just be siblings because they're fraternal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one is taller than the other. One, even their skin complexion is different. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even with autism, one is on this end of the spectrum and the other is on the other end of the spectrum. Right. One, um, their sensory needs are not the same. Right. So... That's a a big example. Like I tell people, this is the example right here of when you meet one person with autism, you only met one person with autism because they are completely different. Yep. Yep. I think one, the one with severe um, autism tends to prefer more of like the noise makers and he likes like shaking the things like in front yep. of him and near his face. And then uh, his his brother, though, is definitely more of like a touchy feely type. And uh, yes. wants to like explore all different textures for better or for worse. <laughs> so, um, but he's kind of he's the one that has his hands and everything. Exactly. And uh, just the and- other day, they were at swimming lessons, and you know they take turns with the coach. So the one twin, who is the touchy feely twin, he was he don't found his little area in the pool area where he can play with rocks and you know, things. So he gathers his rocks and he gets mulch and gathers the mulch. He doesn't care about the dirt. Mm-hmm. But then the other twin goes and see what he's doing and he just runs his fingers over it and he like, okay, this is not for me. I don't want this dirt. I don't want to be dirty. This is what you like to do. I'm going over here. So, yeah. Yeah. Very different sensory profiles. <laughs> and I think that's important for um, parents of newly diagnosed kids to, to recognize to be open to explore and learn these things about your child learn what their their sensory profile is because that's going to help a lot to help with frustration to help keep them busy Mm -hmm. you know don't look at it i think a lot of times look at as oh gosh i have to like learn all this stuff look at it as oh no i get it's like i i get to explore and really learn more about my child and learn how they navigate the world that's right because i started looking at it as they just because they're not developing typically. They look at the world differently. Mm-hmm. They they feel it, touch touch it, taste it, smell it different than what we do. So just don't look at it as, okay, they have this diagnosis and now I got to do all of this stuff to try to help them. And under No, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, making sure that they're comfortable with their daily life. Is there anything uh, that we haven't talked about that you'd want to share that you'd want um, parents, 
or and or providers to kind of know uh, based on your experiences of autism? Um, I would say don't feel like you're forced to tell everyone why your child interacts or act how they do. Mm-hmm. When you're ready to explain it to people, you explain it to them. You know, because I think a lot of parents feel that's a lot of the reasons why we have a lot of drawbacks, especially in our community, because it's like, oh, I got to explain every time I go somewhere, my child is acting like this because they have autism. No, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And then you never know, you might run into somebody who understands. Just like Tuesday, I went somewhere and it was a little girl and you could, I could tell I picked up on it right away because she was doing, you know, having a meltdown and doing the same things that the twins would do when they're ready to go, mm-hmm. when they're tired of being in the space that they're in. And the dad, I commend him because he was trying to do everything he could to quiet her, her down, but it wasn't working. And one of the ladies had asked the grandfather, you know, is she tired? Is she hungry? And then he said, no, she's autistic. And I said, yeah, I picked up on it. I said, my twins, you know, they do the same thing and um, she's just ready to go probably. And he said, yeah, and I think she tired too. And I said, yep. So you never know. Yeah. You might run into somebody and they need somebody that understand mm-hmm. at that moment because everybody else around is just looking around, staring at you and they don't understand why this is happening. Mm-hmm. I think that point is really important. Like someone to just understand, not someone to come in there and judge, not someone to come in there and say, Oh, you should do this. Just someone to understand right. and just be like, I feel you. Like I, I understand. Sometimes that's all you need. Right. I want to thank my guest, Misi, for coming on today and giving us a, a beautiful um, just story of how she navigated diagnosis and how she works with the, the twins and, and ex- her experiences with them and their autism, their unique autism, and just all the great words and tips that she gave for parents and providers and, you know, for anyone who has questions about autism. Um I have a feeling she may be on again at some point. I don't I don't know why, but I have a feeling she may, you know, come back on again for for um, other topics. But um, again, I thank you all for joining us for this episode. I hope you have a, a wonderful rest of your time. If you want to contact me, Angel Wilson, you can reach me at my website, www.sparkguidance.com. You can also reach me at my email, angelw, A-N-G-E-L-W, at sparkguidance.com. Or you can also hit me up on Instagram, at sparkguidance. Again, I hope you guys have a wonderful time. I hope to see you back on this podcast really soon for our next episode. And remember, be blessed. Don't be stressed. Bye.